Um, and it is Christmas season, so yep, it's that time of year where we start singing songs we, we uh, don't know the meanings of. <laughs> In excelsis Deo. Yes. Yeah, strange. But it's that time of year, and we're really glad you've uh, chosen to join us, and especially I'm glad that your stories have converged here. Um, we are in the 10th week already of this sermon series, um, and it is, it is moving fast for me, but slow for some of you. I know I'm getting notes like, when are we moving on? Um, we are going to move on. Uh, we're moving on to the next chapter after this week. This kind of gets us through the Ten Commandments. Um, and so, uh, but I really want to kind of finish setting the foundation for this whole thing, and we're going to start moving really fast. So today, before we get going, I, I want to let you know a little bit about what the story is. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't been here, if you haven't seen it, um, it's a book. It looks like that. It has a crown on the top of it there. Um, and basically the story is a book that takes the entire Bible and puts it in chronological order. It makes it feel kind of like a novel and you read from it from, from beginning to end. Some of you um, have said that it's really helped in terms of putting things in order and being able to understand the Bible. Others of you said, I'm still confused. <laughs> um, and so that's part of why we get together. We want to, to make sure that we understand God's story and understand our story. If you watch the History Channel at all, which I watch a lot of, the older I get, the more geeky stuff like that I start to watch. But History Channel has a series called Mankind, um, the story of all of us. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, very interesting, not necessarily in agreement with the Bible, um, but interesting. The truth is, at this point in history, we've got the Mayan calendar coming up. Anybody know that we're supposed to only live for like another 12 days, something like that? The, it, it's the 12th, right? Is that right? 12th. 21st, whatever it is, one what, whatever it is, the Mayans believe that this is the end. Um, NASA called it off. Well, there is no NASA anymore, right? Anyway, there basically there's just tons of stuff. If you've seen, uh, if you don't watch the History Channel, maybe you watch um, the Discovery Channel, which has a show called uh, uh, End of the World Preppers, something like that. Doomsday Preppers, that's what it's called, and they all believe that it's the end of the world. I, I don't know if you're one of the people that believe that things are coming to an end, um, but one way or the other, we're all, our entire culture is starting to get fascinated with the story of us, why we're here, what we're doing. So if you're visiting with us today, and especially if you're visiting and you're not sure you believe all this stuff, you're in the right place. Just keep digging, keep kind of kicking the tires, trying to find out what's real. But I want you to know, in the midst of God's story, and that's part of why we're doing this. In the midst of God's story, his big story, and why we're here, and how it all began, and all the things that we're learning, we've got these small stories, these little stories of all of our lives, and, and it's the little things that we do inside and out. And what we want to start to do is to draw some parallels between the little things that we've got going on in our small stories and God's bigger story. So one of the ways we're going to do that today, I've got a friend, Mike. You can come on up, Mike. Mike's going to share just a little bit of his story recently, um, and Mike's nervous. He, it's hard to do this up here. You're going to see how hard it is, know. you know? Um, but let's start. Let's welcome Mike. Give him a hand, will you? Good morning. What are you? So I don't usually share a whole lot of my personal life, but the still, still small voice that John always talks about was getting more persuasive and more persuasive. So if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I'd like to tell you a story, the story about myself. So after graduating high school... And time in the Army, I decided to settle down in Mooresville. It was very competitive, and I wanted everything that everybody else had. If it was new and shiny, I got it, regardless of the cost. In 1990, I was injured in a work-related accident. I blamed God because he had taken away my ability to make lots of money to buy things I didn't need. Shortly after my injury, I found out my ex-wife was pregnant with our first child. 
worried and scared, I accepted the fact that I was going to be a father. Two months before I was going to have 27 hours worth of surgery on my back, my ex-wife gave birth to a girl. Within seconds of the birth, we were informed that our baby would require surgery to correct her club feet. Once again, I blame God. Before my surgery, I was informed that I would most likely spend the rest of my life on disability. As usual, God was at fault. I made it through my surgery and my daughter's feet were repaired. Things were going on pretty well until around the age two and a half, we noticed our daughter just wasn't progressing the way she should and not talking. We made an appointment with Riley Hospital for an evaluation. My daughter was evaluated with severe autism, mental retardation, and would never have the ability to talk. She would require assistance for the rest of her life. By this time, I had pretty much decided that God didn't even exist. A few years passed, and I healed and went back to working and providing for my family, and my daughter began talking and acting like a normal child. Were these miracles from God? Surely not, because the doctor said it couldn't happen, and I was still mad at God. In 1999, my father passed away at the age of 64. He was everything to me, so at that time, I decided I had no use for God. I started anticipating my own death, not because I wanted to die, but because I wanted to see God eye to eye and tell him what I really thought of him. Shortly after my father's death, I met a woman on the Internet. Even though I was a hateful and bitter person, I thought I would give it a shot because she was so positive and pleasant. After six months of phone calls and Internet conversations, I decided to fly to Louisiana and meet her face to face. A month later, I drove down to pick her up and brought her back to Indiana. She was always so positive and loved God. I couldn't understand this and decided that she loved God so much because not enough bad things had happened to her. So I took it upon myself to remedy that. I treated her awful for probably the next seven years, thinking that if I'm going to be miserable, she should too. Almost three years ago, we moved to Perrigan, where she attended church. I could not understand what she saw in it. She was just different. After numerous attempts, attempts to get me to go, I reluctantly decided to go. From the moment I went, I felt I belonged. I no longer had that empty feeling. Soon after that, I was saved and my heart and eyes opened. I realized even though I was clouded by all the bitterness and anger at God, that he was still in my life working miracles and his love for me never left. Out of all the blessings I have received, one stands out the most. God gave me one of his angels to become my wife. Because if it weren't for her positive outlook and always seeing something in me that I didn't know existed, she helped me lead, helped lead me down a path that leads straight to the throne of God. Thank you. Well, men, try to match that with your wife this Christmas. I love that dude. And I think Mike would be okay with me saying, too, that, you know, he came to me a few weeks ago and just said, hey, our, our marriage is not where we want it to be. In fact, he said it a little harsher than that. I'm not the guy I want to be. And I, we began to talk a little bit, and I gave him some, some things to do, and their marriage is stronger than it's been in a long time, and they're doing good. And I, I, I want to share that today, one, just because I love them. I just I love good stories. Um, but what I'm hoping today is that, that you'll start to draw some parallels in your life. The only thing that is good <laughs> that can come from these sermons, the only way that this can be good, is if you can look at this stuff and draw stuff out for yourself. In fact, if all you're getting is information, I'd rather you go home. 
Because you know what getting information does to Christians? It makes you arrogant. It makes you mean. It makes you religious. It does. Christians that just sit on their hinds and listen. I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little juiced about this. Christians that just sit and listen and take in and see if they can memorize all the scriptures and don't live it and don't do it and don't draw parallels to their life, it's worthless. In fact, it's worse than worthless. It makes you arrogant, mean, and religious. And so if you're here today, and now if you're just kicking the tires and trying to figure out what you believe, that's one thing. But if you're a Christian who's been sitting here a long time and you think that the story, that what it's about is learning who is who and what's in order, I want you to know you're mistaken. And I've been praying that throughout this series, that you would be squirming a little in your seat. That you'd start to draw some parallels to the Israelites, to the people that you see in the Bible, and to your own lives. And today, I, I want you to see Mike's story and Reba's story. And I'm hoping that some of you go, yeah, that's me. And I've felt that way about God. In fact, today I feel that way about God. And I want you to see that God is constantly at work in your story. The truth about God, as we've been studying this series is that, and the truth about the Bible is that we begin to see some human tendencies. And I'm hoping that when we get done with the story that you see some parallels between your life and the people you see in the Bible. We tend to think of it like a Disney story at times. It's this huge story. Um, some of it we're not sure we totally buy into um, and we totally get. Some of it we kind of think of in terms of cartoons. Um, but the truth is, what I'm hoping is by the end of this, you can start to draw some parallels. You can start to say, that's me. I do that. And you see these human tendencies, and so far what we've seen is, is God raised up a group of people in the midst of a broken world. He raised up a group of people. He rescued them from Egypt for no reason. I love this. My son, Reese, um, and I have, have gone bouts a lot um, and just trying to make good choices, and I'm trying to set some rules, and I make some mistakes, and he makes some mistakes, and we both make bad choices. And in the long run, we've developed this relationship that is just just unbreakable and he's only four I mean I don't know what's going to happen by the time he's in his 20s you know we're going to have a solid relationship but we have battled with some things together me saying this is the rule and him saying I don't know and us being able to go back and forth but one day just recently over Thanksgiving he'd had one of those times where he had eaten too many sweets you know everybody's passing he's so cute everybody's passing him a cookie and you know, he's playing the game, and he knows it, looking the big batting eyes, you know, and, and he gets another cookie and another piece of candy. And you know what happens when you jam that much candy in a kid? By 9 o'clock on Thanksgiving night, he was, his head was spinning around, and he was a mess, making terrible decisions, and he knew it. I, I saw in Reese what I see in some of us that walk in here, and myself included. We come into church with this feeling like, holy cow, what have I done this week? I've done it again. And we almost come into to church with this feeling of God like, you know, you get your hands up and you're almost like, God, what are you going to do to me? And I'm just going to kind of come in here and see what God's going to do. In fact, some of you have even said things like, I'm surprised the building didn't fall down when I walked in. That's the look Reese had on his face that night when it was time for bed. Because he knew we were going to have the talk. We have a talk every night about the choices he made. We pray that God forgives him for the bad choices he made and helps him make good choices tomorrow and that he sleeps good and all those things. And we sat down and he kind of had that look of, uh-oh, here it comes. And I began to tell him a little bit about my bad choices and how I'd said some things today that I hadn't been real proud of. And he said, Dad, are you going to take away my stuffed animals? <laughs> he loves stuffed animals. And that's really one of the only leverage. Dad, are you going to take away my stuffed animals? I said, not today, buddy. I said, not today. And he got this look in his eyes 
that I, I absolutely resonate with. I deserve to have my animals taken away. I deserve to have everything that's important to me taken away because I've made so many bad choices. And that moment, I got to be a picture of God's grace to my son. Just a small one. And I want you to see that your life, and I thought about it as I went to bed that night, God, let me continue to be grace and strict with my son. Let him see in me what I see in you. And I'm hoping today that those of you who have never seen God in that light begin to see in that way. And those of you who have begin to treat the people in your life like God has treated you. It's the power of the story. Because the human tendency is to believe that God's goal for all of this, and we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and this is the perfect time to talk about this tendency, to believe that God's goal for us is to make us good. And that the better we get, the more acceptable we are to God. And I just want to tell you today, it's not true. In fact, God's rules are not a condition of his love. They are a confirmation of his love. He gives us rules because he loves us. And he establishes relationships with us first. Now, at this point in history, I I want you to remember, we're we're getting the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to finish them up today. Um, and, and talking about why God gave Moses and, and his people these rules. But at this point in history, there are the only way to really live in a culture is with a kingdom. And if you've studied, if you've looked at anything about kings and, and, and dictators and rulers, basically they work really similarly to the way I tend to work if I'm not careful as a dad. In fact, here's a great example. The problem with kings is they make up rules. They make up their own rules, and, but they don't have to live by them. Have you ever noticed that? They, they just make up rules, and they don't have to live by them, so they begin to leverage the rules for their own personal good. I, I do this in my house, and I'm trying not to, but I realize it. Often my wife will kind of nudge me. One of the rules in my house, and I'm just weird like this, is thou shalt not go outside without shoes on. I don't know why. I hate when my kids go outside without their shoes on. I always feel like they're going to step on something, and I, I, I just I feel like they need to have their shoes on. And Reese just loves to be barefoot. And so often he'll run outside without his shoes on, and I'll go, Reese, and he'll stop and go, oh, and run back in, you know. And I make a point of it, and it gets annoying to my kids. Oh, Dad, it's 75 degrees. It's beautiful. Let me just go outside. Nope, got to go outside with that. But when I get up in the morning, and it's time to take the dog out or the trash to the curb, and I don't want to find my shoes, guess who's walking outside barefoot? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, me and the dog. Walking outside barefoot. I'm breaking my own rules. And my feeling is, it's okay because I made up the rule. I can break it if I make it. Now, my dad had one of these when I was growing up. His rule was, thou shalt not drink out of the milk carton. When I was in high school, it would be great. You know, you come in, you just grab the milk, and you drink it out of the carton, put it back. And dad would say, not in my house. And one night, I woke up at 10 o'clock And he's standing at the refrigerator wide open, which is another one of his rules, drinking out of the milk carton. It's his rule. He can break it. See, this is the problem with society at this point in history. When God meets the Israelites, when God begins to start a whole new set of rules and a whole new way of living life, he says, you guys are going to do it differently. The way the world runs right now is that one guy somehow gets in charge, he's a king, he's a pharaoh, he's a ruler of some sort, he gets in charge and he starts making up things. And at first, it sounds good. We're going to protect the people, we're going to feed the poor, we're going to make sure everybody... But eventually, because he's making up the rules, the rules begin to change in his favor. And pretty soon, 
the entire nation is serving him. You know what I'm saying? Still happens all over the world today. Now, one of the reasons that, that God meets with the Israelites is to say, you're going to do life differently. And I, I want you to understand this as we move forward. This is a huge concept in the Bible. This is a huge concept that God intends for the people who follow him to live life by a different set of rules. Now, this is hard to understand. It's hard to get for the world. But here's what God says. He says, listen, Moses isn't in charge. I'm going to have him lead you, but I make the rules. I make the rules. And guess what? Moses has to live by them. And Aaron has to live by them. The priests live by them. All the leaders in your place live by them. This is why, just a side note, I don't get political very often, but this is a good kind of political. This is why in 1776... A whole bunch of men who were really smart got together and they said, you know what? We're tired of being under a ruler. We're tired of being under a ruler who's making up rules. What if we went back to the Bible? What if we went back to God's rules and we said, we're going to follow this together as a nation? And then we held each other. Maybe we elect a president and we hold each other accountable. And in 1776, a group of men said, one nation under God. Now, however far you think we're that today, from that today, I still believe it's the way God intends for life to be done. It's the way he set it up with the Israelites. You're under me. Now, here's what happens, and I want to set this whole thing up, because here's what God knows about human tendencies. And this is why he sets rules, and this is why you set rules if you're a good parent in your house, because you know the tendency of your kids. And how do you know the tendency of your kids? Because you were one. And I tell London all the time, you know, you're going to have rules that protect idiots because I were an idiot. <laughs> I are an idiot. And I remember what happens at midnight on a Friday night if you're 14 years old and your parents aren't around. I remember. Even good boys, even good girls, it happens. So guess what good moms and dads do? They set rules. Protecting the tendencies, not of a bad kid, but of human people, of people. God looks down at people and he says, this is what's going to happen. And so these rules are to protect you. You may call me names, you may do whatever, but I'm telling you, I love you enough that these are the rules. And one of the tendencies God sees is the, the next one of the, the commandments that we're going to cover. And I'm not going to get through all ten of them in detail today, but I want to cover the ones that God starts with. The very first thing God says is he says, There'll be no other gods but me, okay? And to us, that goes, all right, yeah, that makes sense. But to them, they were, they were worshiping the sun, the river, whatever they thought was bringing them life. God goes, nope, I'm the one-stop shop for gods, okay? That's the first rule. And then he says, they're, they're, you won't be able to make any idols, nothing you can actually worship physically. And they go, what? That's what we do. We make stuff, and then we worship it, and we need something physical. And God goes, no, the problem with that is, then you feel like you can hide me when you don't want me. You feel like you can put me in a box, when you want me in a box, and whenever you need me, you'll pull me out. God says, don't box me in. Don't try to manage me. You can't manage me. So those are the first two rules. Don't have any more other gods except for me, and don't try to manage me. And then he says something that I've misunderstood until about 10 years ago. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get some suspense going here, that there are people in the room who misunderstand it today. In fact, there are, I already see the Facebook messages and emails you're not going to like what I have to say, some of you. The third thing that God says to the people is this. You can skip down a little bit. One more. 
He says this, the third thing, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not, if you grew up in church, you're not going to like the version of this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You get that? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, when I grew up, and many of you can probably quote this because your parents quoted it to you. When I grew up, the way this was translated was, you, sh- you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, what that meant to me when I grew up and to my family, and this is the way I grew up, many of you have grown up this way too, is that if you stub your toe, you hit your finger with a hammer, you shall not say God. You shall not say, oh my God. You shall not use God's name in that way. You're using God's name in vain. When I was a kid, in fact, I had friends whose families would not let them say gosh because it was too close to saying God. They would not let them say G because it was too close to saying Jesus. And they had to kind of make up this whole new set. Of, and you could tell how the parents felt by the kids, by the words they used when they stubbed their toe. Now, here's the thing. They still were saying awful things. I mean, these kids could say whatever cuss words they wanted to say, but they couldn't say those two things. Here's the thing. God is saying two major things to start the Ten Commandments. He's saying, don't have any more gods before me. And then he's saying, don't try to manage me. You think the third thing he's saying is, yeah, by the way, when you stub your toe, don't say my name in vain. That's not what this means. Now, let me say this. If you have a problem using God's name that way, I want you to know it's offensive to God. And there's all kinds of scriptures that can support that. It's Deuteronomy all over the place. God says, do not use the name to swear by. Do not use his name in that way. But that's not what this scripture is about. It's not. It's bigger than that. Okay? Here's the thing. When God looks down at us, when God looks down at human beings and the tendencies we have, he says, here's what's going to happen. Those of you who feel like you're close to me are going to tell the people who aren't that you're close to me. I'm close to God. Have you ever met somebody like this? In fact, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. And sometimes it may be true, but for the most part, people are misusing the name of God when they say, God told me, I had a a lady tell me this all the time, God told me that you should be preaching on sin next week. God told you? That's weird, because I was talking to God, and he never told me. (laughs) And I'm preaching. (laughs) So why would God tell you and not me? Well, they're prophets, and I understand that. But you know what I found out is that her husband was coming to church that time for the first time in six years, and he happened to have some sins she didn't like very much. So God told her, you know what that is? That's a direct disobedience of the third commandment of God. That's misusing God. You understand what I'm saying here? God says, this is going to happen with people. When, when you feel like you're close to me and other people aren't, you're going to leverage my name. You're going to leverage my name. Now, I'll give you another example of this. When, when I was a kid, I was a preacher's kid, uh, PK, you know. I was, and, um, my, and I was not only a preacher's kid, I was a, a, grandfa- I was a grandkid of a preacher, a GPK or something. I, 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 and so my whole family was in ministry. And here's what I began to get. My grandpa was preaching. Um, my dad was in the youth ministry. They were both on staff of the same church, and I felt like I was king. And you know what I'd do? I'd walk around. I remember doing this at Gosport Christian Church. They'd have donuts for the, the different Sunday school classrooms, and I would go around before church and just take a donut from each one of the rooms. Just take one. <laughs> Don't you know me? I'm John Mitchell. I'm Ken's son, Al's grandkid. I'm misusing my grandpa's name in that church. 
I'm totally leveraging my relationship. And many people thought, well, Al must have sent him down to pick up some donuts. I'm stuffing them in my mouth until my grandpa caught me misusing his name. See, that's a small, a very, very small understanding of it. But we do that all the time now. God said, here's what's going to happen, Moses. Your people are going to act like they have the corner on God. And because people are going to see him that way, they're going to start to create religion. Things that I never said are going to start popping up. And it will start to really enable them to live an easier life. And man, we saw it happen all over the place in the Old Testament. Where priests would use God. They would use his name to get things. In fact, Jesus, the maddest Jesus ever got in all the Bible. And I got it real quick. This is from the New Testament. The maddest Jesus ever got was Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to skip down to... uh, Verse 45 down there at the beginning, at the, at the end there. Basically, here's what happens. Jesus walks up to the temple, which is a place where God, uh, where, where, where God is basically set up and the Jewish leaders are set up to come and worship God. But the way at this point, before Jesus was crucified, and this is later in the story, but I want to skip here because I want you to see how mad this makes God and Jesus when we misuse his name. There's, there's this huge temple, and out in front of it, there are people who are selling animals, Okay. And what would happen at this, at this point in history is the only way to be right with God was to sacrifice animals. Blood makes things right with God. Now, we found out later that in the story that Jesus' sacrifice makes us right from now on. And all we do is accept it, and we claim that blood, and we don't have to sacrifice animals. At this point in history, they had to sacrifice animals, and the really poorest people would show up at the temple feeling like they need to be close to God. You understand that? I want you to get this feeling. If you're poor, you, can't, you don't have access to animals. You feel like you need to be close to God. You've got a, just barely anything in your pocket. You walk up to the temple, and guess what's, what's happening at the temple? People are standing at the front of the temple, and even inside the gates of the temple, selling doves and selling stuff, and marking up the price. And, and poor people are coming in, and, and people are coming up, and, and the people who are most vulnerable, the people who need God the worst, are getting ripped off by the religious people who are saying, you have to buy a good dove, doves that are acceptable to God right here, 1995. And Jesus gets the maddest we ever see Jesus get. In fact, a couple pe- per- people, or, uh, portions of Scripture show Jesus actually turning over tables and taking a whip and cracking it. And I mean, going all Bruce Willis on them, you know what I'm saying? Just going nuts on them, yelling and pushing them out. Why? Because, God, because Jesus didn't want money in the temple? No, that's not why. Why? Because he didn't like the animals being... No, it's because the religious leaders were misusing God's name for their own benefit. Let me see a couple head nods. You get what I'm going here? Because here's what Jesus, here's what God knew. At that moment, what we believe about God is that he can see all the future, see all the past, all at the same time. When he set those rules for Moses, I believe he saw New Life Christian Church. I believe that with all my heart. When he set those rules for Moses, I believe he saw the Reformation, the Restoration Movement. I believe he saw the Crusades when he set those rules for Moses that day. And he said, here's what's going to happen. People are going to start to rise up. They're going to create a whole bunch of rules that I never said. And I want you to know that they will be held accountable for those rules. Now, here's how it's played out in my lifetime. 
The church makes up rules all the time. Rules that God never, ever said. Now, I want you to know that this is the way that parenting works, and this is the way that we work as a society. Sometimes we set up rules that protect us from other rules. You know what I mean? My kids have a bedtime of 8 o'clock on school nights because if they don't, they will get in trouble the next day. If they go to bed at 9 o'clock on a school night, by 2 o'clock, we will be having an argument. They'll get in trouble. They'll sit in time out. It's for their own protection that they go to bed at 8 o'clock. It's a rule. In my house, if I'm not careful, it can become a law. And it, be, it can become a matter of what's right and what's wrong. There's a rule in my house that you don't go to bed without your teeth brushed. Okay? Is it wrong to go to bed without your teeth brushed? No. But in my house, it's the rule. Now, if I'm not careful, I can take that to the extreme to the point where I start punishing them because they don't brush their teeth. And if I, the more I punish them, the more they get ingrained that the most important thing is that they have to brush their teeth at night. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what happens to churches. This is what happens to God. God, God says humans are going to start leveraging my name to set their own rules. And if you've lived through this, I've studied it, but I didn't live through the Jonestown. Jim Jones, anybody know that name? Jonestown was an absolutely terrible story of a man who misused the name of God. And it got so bad that if you've, if you've never heard this story, you should Google it. It is an unbelievable story. And in fact, you should Google it, you should look at it, and you should measure me every time you walk into this building to make sure that I'm not leading you out of anything other than what God says. Because this man led a group of people finally to an island, laced their Kool-Aid with cyanide, they drank it. That's where the phrase "drink the Kool-Aid" came from. They drank the Kool-Aid, and they, yeah, they drank the Kool-Aid, and they all committed suicide together at Jim Jones's request. They got so far from God, but it happens a little bit at a time. And God goes, anybody who misuses my name for their own benefit will be judged by me. This is a huge issue. And I need you to see this today because this sets up the context for the rest of the Bible. You get that? This is what God has said so far. And basically, this is what the whole Ten Commandments are about. What he's most concerned about is that people honor him. They honor each other. Do you know how weird it was? You know how strange it was for, a, for one, two million people. There's two million people, two million Jews by this time in history. One or two million people. How strange it was for them to be able to, to start giving each other rights. For men to start treating women with respect, was unheard of. This is one of the things that I believe is most um, frustrating to God. And i got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, I wrote it down and I wasn't going to say it, and I'm going to say it anyway. We have a problem in this culture. Not America, not Indiana, not Bloomington, Paragon. Maybe we have a problem in Bloomington, maybe we have a problem in Indiana, but we're here, and I'm telling you, men, God is not honored by the way some of us treat our wives. Not. And at this point in history, God says, you're to be different. You don't make fun. You don't, your whole relationship, I've got friends, Christian men, whose whole relationship with their wife is based on this derogatory kind of a joking, making fun of. God will go, no, that's not the way I set this thing up. At this point in history, kids didn't even have names. Did you know that? At this point in history, you could have a baby, especially if it was a woman, a girl. She might not have a name until you find out if she was useful or he was useful. 
And God says, no, not anymore. Kids, in fact, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, are made up of these little guys. I know moms and dads who treat their kids like slaves. In fact, they even make jokes like, well, that's the reason I had you, so I don't have to mow the yard anymore. It's not God. It's not who he set us up to be. So what we're trying to do in this culture is to say, God has set us apart, not to be better, not to be somehow closer to him and know everybody else is far from him, but to be different, to live life with respect for each other and respect for him. Those are the first two rules. And then he says, when you start to respect me and when you start to respect each other, people will start to look at you. And they'll go, they have something that I don't. And here's what the temptation is for us. And if you're a leader in this church or you've been a Christian for a long time, it's your temptation too. When people start to look at you and say, you're close to God, you go, oh, you know what God told me? God told me you need to give me some money. God told me you need to behave. This is what churches have been doing for a long time. So eventually, what happens is during one of the worst times in all of history for Christians, A group of people decided if you didn't follow God, you were going to be murdered. And it's called the Crusades, and if you haven't seen it, Google it. It's a terrible time in our history where this got completely out of control. I believe that day when God looked at Moses and the Israelites, he said, please, here's the thing, you're going to be, I'm going to have to judge you. I'm going to have to treat this really, really desperately. Because if you treat, if you do this, if you misuse my name, it does two things. One, it tarnishes my name. It makes people think things about me that aren't true. I have a friend who preached a sermon called, I can't even hardly say this, but he he preached a sermon called The Hatred of God. And it dealt a whole lot with gay people. And it dealt a whole lot with people that don't look like you and I, white Americans. And at the end of it, I I started listening about 15 minutes of it. I got a link from another buddy who said, you got to hear this. I listened about 15 minutes of it, and I sent him a note, and I said, I'm I'm deleting that from my computer. I want to be as far away from that kind of talk as a leader as possible because God says some pretty scary things to leaders who misrepresent who he is. Now, I think I've done enough, dam- or enough damage control with that here today, but I want you to know this is a huge part of who we are at New Life. We are not going to make up rules that make people behave, that make people behave the way they want us to. I remember when I was a little, I, I was told that God hates kids who run in the sanctuary. The truth is, should you run in the sanctuary? No. Is it one of the Ten Commandments? No. But it was on the wall in my church with the rest of the Ten Commandments. And I'm telling you, those kinds of things that we begin to use God's name to control our kids, to control our... God goes, you be careful. Because when you set up religion, to me this is almost God saying, thou shalt not establish religion. You know what religion is? It's a bunch of rules that man made up and attribute to God for their own benefit. When you establish religion, it just hurts people that I love. So I will punish you desperately for it. Part of this whole conversation, and part of the way the Israelites would have seen this, and we might translate this way, thou shalt not play games with God. Don't use God. Don't act like you have a relationship... Don't act like you had a dream that meant something. I'm speaking to specific people right now. I'm not looking at anybody, all right? 
Don't, don't say you had a conversation with God so that you can be a little more spiritual in a conversation with somebody else. Don't push God in a relationship so that you look better than someone else. Don't do it. Don't play those games. But here's the other insinuation that God has here for, the, for, the, for Moses and the Israelites. Something that we all do. And it's this game that we play. God basically says, you guys are setting up loopholes where you like to kind of play this game with me. And he looks down at the Israelites and he says, some of you are, are, are going to start to use me in really bad ways. And I believe he looks at us and goes, you know what, there are Christians right now who use Jesus. I see this every day and truthfully, I've been one of the worst. And you know what I mean by that? Got real quiet in here, didn't I? Some of the Christians that are in this place are using the name Jesus. The New Testament says this, by the name Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And some of you are misusing that name by doing whatever the heck you want to do during the week. Whatever you want to do. And you go, I found a loophole. I can do whatever I want to do. I go get baptized and I'm saved. He'll forgive me. God goes, you're, you're misusing the name of Jesus. Now I want to let you know what happens at this point in history, Jesus, as I said, he, God can look down and he can see things. He sees that this very group of people, these Israelites, will raise up religious leaders. And I mean that in the strictest sense of the word. Religious leaders, people who make their money, make their living, do their whole life on making up rules and attributing them to God. God knows that that's going to happen. And he begins to say, you're going to be judged deeply. And he says, here's what's going to happen. This group of people raises up, and we see it all over the New Testament. These religious leaders who start making up rules over and over and over. And they make up these rules so often that they miss the point of God. In fact, you know what the number one job it was of a religious leader at this time? A Pharisee or a Sadducee or a priest? Their number one job was to look for the Messiah. You know what the Messiah is? The Messiah is the promise of Jesus. Their number one job was to look for the Messiah. And here, I want you to catch this. If you've been asleep, wake up for a second because here it is. The, here's what religion does. You can play the loophole game with God. You can act like you're in. You can act like you care. But you will miss him like the religious leaders did. Their whole job in life as a leader, that's what they were paid to do. This is why they were leading the people was to wait and watch for the Messiah. They would go through the Old Testament and go, is it that guy? Nope, it's not that, that guy. And they missed Jesus. In fact, they crucified the Messiah. Because they were so bent on their religion, on the rules they made up and attributed to God, that they missed Jesus. And here's the message for you today. You get this. If you're sitting in the pew today and you're playing the loophole game with God, you're playing the religious game, I'm going to be whoever I want to be during the week and I'll ask his forgiveness on the weekend, then you will miss God. Now, I don't mean miss heaven. I don't know how God deals with that, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that there are many of you sitting in the pew who tell me this on a weekly basis. Mike Sutton talked about peace this week. I've never felt that in my life. Some of you go, you know what, that thing that Christians talk about where they feel connected to God, I've never felt connected to God. Maybe you've missed him because you're playing religion. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're going, preach it, preacher. This is the first time I've ever been excited about a preacher because you hate religion. But I want you to know, even if you're not a Christian today and you're not in this, it, you play these games with God too. You don't believe. You say you don't believe. You say you don't want anything to do with it. And then a car wreck. Then a bad financial week. 
and your cry is, oh God. I want you to know that when God looked down at the Israelites that day, he saw us. He said, honor me. Honor the people around you. And do not misuse my name. We would love it, wouldn't we? It would be so much greater if, this, if that commandment was just don't say God when you stub your toe. It makes it a lot easier now looking at it like that, doesn't it? Because you know how many people I know who don't use the Lord's name in vain the way we've talked about it, but who misuse God's name on a daily basis and drive religion and kill people who are far from God, push them away. So God says those three things to start. Then he says the fourth thing, and we're done. I'm going to push you through the end real quick here. He says the fourth thing, and I love this. You've got to love a God that says in his list of ten things, thou shalt take a day off. It's called the Sabbath. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, this is the most, the, the longest of the Ten Commandments. This has the most explanation. Here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there are men that I uh, respect so much, Christian men, who, if you look at them, they have followed all the Ten Commandments. And they go, well, not anymore, right? We don't, we don't take Saturdays off now, right? We don't take Sundays. We, I still got to work. I mean, God intends for me to work. God intends for me to, to work through my Saturdays. And, and I've got to let you know that at this point in history, this may have been the weirdest of the Ten Commandments for the Egyptians. I mean, for the Israelites. And the reason I said Egyptian was in my head because the Israelites have been leaving, living in Egypt where their entire life was about working for years. Culture after culture after culture. All it was was work. And God goes, I am pulling you away from that. You're not ever, you're not going to work like that anymore. You're not going to do this. Now, if you're like me, your first thought of this, and if you own a business or you, you have one of those situations where you kind of control your own work, I own my own business, and my feeling is if I don't work on Saturday, I'm behind because I can tell you my competitors are. The people who are comp I'm competing with are working on Saturday, and if I don't work on Saturday, I'm behind. And I want you to know that God has an answer for that, and I love the way God answers this. This is the way I'm going to end my sermon today. Next slide. Here's what God does with the Israelites. He says, I want you to trust me. He says, I, I want you to, to honor me. I want you to honor each other. I don't want you to misuse my name. And then here's the next thing. I want to be the reason you live. I want to be what you trust for daily life. And the Israelites go, what, what? Now remember, they're just walking around the desert at this point. There's hardly anything to eat, hardly anything to drink. They're just walking around the desert. And God says this. He says, here's what's going to happen. Every day, and if you've never heard this, this is the coolest thing. Every day when you wake up in the morning, there's going to be bread on the ground. You're like, I'm sorry, what, God? There'll be what? Yeah, wonder bread, just everywhere. They called it manna. There'll be bread on the ground when you wake up every morning. Israelites go, yes! You mean we, we, we'll, we'll just be able to eat as much as we want? We can put them in our tents? We can save them, put them in our cupboards? And God goes, no. Every morning, there'll be bread. 
If you try to save it, the next day it'll be full of maggots and rotten. This is the way it goes. This is manna. Basically, this is what God says. Every day I want you to be dependent on me. Not on what you've stored, not on what you've saved, not on your 401k, hint, hint, not on your bank account. You're dependent on me. Does that mean it's a sin to put money in your 401k? No, but make sure you're not depending your life on it. Make sure you're not trusting your entire life with it. God says, here's what I want from you. I want you to wake up every morning and collect this manna and remember that I'm in charge. Trust me. But, so they do that. They start doing that. And then he says, here's the thing. On the sixth day, I want you to collect two days' worth. I'm like, well, God, you said that they... No, I'm in charge, and those that won't rot for the second day, okay? I want you to collect two days' worth on the sixth day because on the seventh, you're not going to collect anything. Now, some of you are already making a connection in your head to your life and my life. But here's what God says to me and to you today. When you go, but God, if I don't work on Saturday, then I'm not competing with my competitors, and the, the fields won't get done, and this won't get done, and that won't get done. And God goes, you know what? Trust me to do seven days of work in six days. You get seven days of provision in six days. Guys, I, I started, I'll tell you, the rubber meets the road on this. I started doing this two years ago. I'm a workaholic. I have been my entire life. I started working when I was 15 years old. I've never not had a job since I was 15. And I have workaholic tendencies. Every counselor I've ever had tells me I do. It partially ruined my first marriage. That idea, that thought is, has ruined parts of my life. And when I said, God, do in, six, do in six days what it would take me to do in seven, I still get my stuff done. Things still get done. I'm still competing. Money still gets brought in. Food still gets bought. And guess who has a relationship with his kids? Guess whose marriage makes sense now? Guess who has time to think? And here's the thing about this. This is the ebb and flow of life. If you're sitting here today and you're going, I can't get done everything that needs to be done. I just can't get it done. I, I see my to-do list and nothing ever gets checked off and I start a new one and I can't, I can't, my efficiency and my time. I want you to know, maybe it's because you have missed this. This is how God intends for us to live. You work hard and you take a day and you don't. I'm going to walk out of here today and many of you are going to go right back to working. But those of you who decide today that you would be willing to trust God, that you'd be willing to trust God for that day that he's promised and that he's asked you to take off, that he would take care of the things that need to be taken care of. He'll move you to a place that you've never been moved before. Now, the rest of the Ten Commandments are really just based on those. Remember the Sabbath? We just talked about honor your father and mother. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you shouldn't lie, and you shouldn't covet. All those things are based off God's rules that you should honor God and love people. This sets the stage for the entire story of God. Okay, so I want you to read the Bible now and read the story with this in mind, that this is what God wants most for you to honor Him, love each other, not to misuse Him, to live and trust Him on a daily basis. And I want you to know today that this is the intent of your story. And what we see is, is God look down at the Israelites and say, if you live by, in this way, 
you'll do life differently and people will look at you and go, what is different? And you'll, you'll have a relationship with God that's closer and you won't miss God. Some of you have missed God in your story. In fact, some of you today, I, I was listening to Mike's story. Band, you guys can come on up. Um, I was listening to Mike's story. I was sitting here thinking, there are some of you sitting out there today and I was praying for you who go, I, I don't see God in my story at all. <laughs> and maybe today you've missed him. Because religion has replaced God in your life. And I want you to know that God's rules boil down to these three things. Honor God, love people, and trust in his provision. So today, can you love him a little more? I, I don't know if you're here and you've, you've uh, never heard the Ten Commandments before. Most likely you have and you knew um, the do not steal you knew the do not commit adultery, probably. If you've heard a few times, you've heard the shouldn't covet. You notice that we didn't, I didn't really even cover those things very quick. They went by on a slide real fast. Because here's the thing. If you honor God the way he asked, you love people the way he asked, the rest of those things take care of themselves, and they lead to a life that you're looking for. This really is the point of your story, that you trust him more every day. You know what's incredible? about all this is that I've got a friend who has memorized the, the first 11 chapters of the Bible and his goal is to memorize the entire Old Testament by March. And uh, he's a religious guy, I would say. I love him. He called me about two weeks ago and I said, hey, how's the memorizing going? It's amazing. This guy's incredible. And I love the idea that he's memorizing scripture. I said, how's the memorizing going? He goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. I sense this thing in me. And I said, well, dude, what's going on? He said, well, everything's going under. My wife got mad at me, and she's, she left, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I just feel, I, I think I'm suicidal. And this thing hit me, like, what? You're what? You have the, you have the Bible memorized? And you're suicidal? You're, you're dependent on your wife? And we began to talk, and I realized that he missed God. In the midst of memorizing the story, he missed God. Here's my prayer for you today. That no matter what you heard, no matter what's gone on, the song that Jamie and Chris sang, the worship, the sermon, the communion, whatever it is today, that you don't let it pass without feeling God, without being close to him. And if you do today, come see me. I would love to pray with you and introduce you. This morning, I'm going to have you stand with us and sing this song. And I'd love to give you an opportunity today to sing this song called Come in Jesus. The idea is that um, of this song is that Jesus is standing at the door. This is a Rick Alexander song. I love this one. I sing this one in the shower. It's the only time you'll hear me sing it, I promise. You won't hear me there. <laughs> but the, the, the idea of this is that he stands at the door and knocks. He will not break the door down. He could break the door down to your life. But he, he wants you to open it. And so the idea is that, that we have all this stuff in our lives that we're trusting. The point of your story is to trust God. And if you can do that today, I give you this opportunity to say, come in Jesus, come into my life, change who I am. Some of you have never done that. Some of you have done it a long time ago and religion has taken over and you've missed God. Don't leave here today without saying, come in Jesus. Would you sing with us? <laughs>